Listen for a word of God from Psalms 46. This is verse 10 and 11. Be still and know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. The word of God. One Sabbath, a, very, one Sabbath a while ago, I gave a very, very, very bad sermon. <laughs> it was bad, friends. It happened 20 years ago. It was Sabbath, September 15, 2001. I had been with you almost two years. The lead pastor was out of town. The senior pastor was speaking somewhere else. And the drama, the trauma, the chaos from Tuesday in the week was rolling through our nation. I asked to be relieved, and there was no one else who could speak on that Sabbath, September 15, 2001. Like every other clergy across this country, I struggled to find something to say to speak into that moment. I couldn't figure out what in the world a preacher could say that could be meaningful. We stayed with the sermon series that had been planned months in advance, so we gathered here, we said our prayers, we sang our songs. I interviewed someone as part of the sermon about something. I preached about something. I sat down. There's one thing I knew with confidence that day when I went home. That was a very, very, very bad sermon. <laughs> you know a bad sermon when you hear one? Are you gonna be honest with me? Pull your phone open. This is how honest I would like you to be with me. Pull your phone open and text to me. A sermon is very bad when, and fill in the blank. Now don't please write me a paragraphs and paragraphs. This is a one sentence summary, right? You know a sermon is bad when such and such happens. And I'd love to hear if we could come around with a microphone and talk to one another. Listen, bad sermons happen to all of us and we're so sorry when they happen to you. A sermon is bad when, what? And I'm gonna read some of what you've sent me. A sermon is bad. Kirby Oberg, why are you the first one to answer? <laughs> we should just get you a microphone and bring you right up here. A sermon is very bad when I am not called to action, says someone. A sermon is bad when it goes on forever and ever, says one person, two persons, three people, four people. A sermon is bad when the pastor is not sure what they're preaching about. A sermon is bad when it makes you fall asleep. Do we got some truth going on here, church? A sermon is bad when it's out of touch. A sermon is bad when it shames people. A sermon is bad when it gets political. A sermon is bad when it trashes women and pushes salvation on people. A sermon is bad if I can't tell what in the world the main point is. A sermon is bad if it's monotone. I can do monotone if you need. A sermon is bad when we leave feeling discouraged. A sermon is bad when I am not called to rethink my assumptions. A sermon is bad when it fails to speak the truth. Oh my, we could just do this all day. This is fantastic. I'm gonna keep going. A sermon is bad when I cringe. A sermon is bad when your teen doesn't understand anything. A sermon is bad if it doesn't inspire you to think how you can be better. A sermon is bad when you're bored. Thank you, teenagers, for responding. 
A sermon is bad when a priest is not connected with God. A sermon is bad when you don't understand anything that was said, when it doesn't address basic needs. Please keep them coming because I shall compile you a list. A sermon is bad when the pastor makes up things that Jesus said. Come on. Y'all don't need another pastor, church. You're on it. A sermon is bad when I go home empty. A sermon is bad when I forgot on Monday what it was all about. I gave a very, very, very bad sermon 20 years ago. But what made it regrettable was this. What made it regrettable that day 20 years ago, I believe it was only my third sermon in this large congregation, maybe my fourth. What made it regrettable is that it was absolutely tone deaf to the world. What made it regrettable is, is that it was, we came in here and did in here as if out there wasn't happening. What made it regrettable is that I was not able to discern the magnitude of the madness in the world. It was culturally tone deaf. It was theologically tone deaf. It was communally tone deaf that day 20 years ago in our sanctuary. So on this 20-year memorial of trauma that changed our world, we will read Psalm 46. Psalms 46 is what we can say. It's a ringing reminder of the reality of God's world, the world we live in. Psalms 46 is 11 verses, but it's the one verse that we all know that I read earlier, be still and know that I am God. That's the verse we know, yes? My guess is this is a favorite verse of some of us sitting here in the sanctuary. Is this your favorite verse? Would you raise your hand for a moment? Because if you look at the church family Bible, verse 10 is underlined and highlighted over the years. Many of us have pointed to Psalm 46.10 as our favorite verse. Be still and know. This has got to be one of the top 10 Bible verses for Christians. Be still and know. But the chapter has 10 more verses. The chapter has 10 more verses that are a little less memorable. Be still and know that I am God, verse 10 says. This is the second part of that verse. I'm exalted among the nations. I'm exalted in the earth. We know when poets repeat themselves, they want us to pay attention. That second sentence is repetitive on purpose. But that's not the memorable part that we all carry with us. It's the be still and know part. Be still and know, in a loud world, in a chaotic world, in an upsetting world, in a triggering world, be still and know. And for Sabbath keepers who have this rhythm of holding still of one in every seven days, what what does this text mean to us? Be still, be quiet, slow down, cease, be motionless, freeze. If you do an online search, an image search for this one verse, Be still and know. Here's what we get. It's very consistent. We get mountains, and they can be in any state in the nation. We get forests that are cool and calming. We get canoes on misty morning lakes. We get people sitting on docks looking, I don't know, is this Alaska maybe? We get Bibles open, lots of water for this Bible text, whether we're sitting by the sea or the ocean and the Bible is open. Be still and know that I am God. We get lots of pictures of flowers in open fields. 
We get pictures of tropics, the forests in the tropics. We get pianos on prairies because that's where pianos go, (laughs) under trees on the prairie. We get Hobbiton, Thomas Kincaid pictures. I don't know what this is for sure. And we get lots of this last one. We get lots of, of clean, spotless, pristine, grammable slides. I don't know if this here is art imitating text or text imitating art. I think it's at least art interpreting text. And when that happens enough times and it happens again and again, it begins to reinforce to those of us who read the Bible, this must be what the text means. Art interprets text, text is interpreted by art. All you gotta do is get a Bible and a mug and a really clean counter in your house. And it will happen if you've got some great lighting, a cool vibe going on. Or get up super early, can you find a great mountain? Sit on it. Can you find a misty lake? Great, canoe on it. Can you find a piano in the open field? Good, sit down and play it. What it eventually begins to teach us about this particular test is these are the props we need to be still and know that God is God. And it's subliminal and it's real. It reinforces our interpretation of the text that this is what is necessary in our lives for divine presence and divine stability. If you want to know God and if you want to experience God and feel God and you want to know the, the, the overwhelming providence of God, get yourself a canoe and a quiet lake. Psalm 46 names a pair of problems. There are two problems. The earth is a problem and the nations are a problem, and I wanna name both of those this morning. If you give me 10 minutes, let's do this. The earth and the nations. Experts think that the psalm may be something that they would recite for fall festival time, like right about now when we go back to school, fall time. So the nation of Israel coming into Jerusalem, which is already the signal of all things stable and beautiful and prosperous, that sometime in the fall, maybe they would say this psalm, sing this psalm together. And in the home, the presence of the divine, they know they're stable and secure. Only think again about some of the images. We all read the passage together a little while ago, all 11 verses. Let me say something about maybe the worldview and the way they think about the water and the mountains and the land. In the ancient Near East worldview, the mountains, and particularly the mountains that come up out of the center of the sea are thought of like a pillar that holds and suspends the sky. So if the mountains in the center of the sea begin to wobble, if these pillars are tottering and teetering, the whole thing could collapse. The sky is really falling. Think of it like a Jenga tower, right? From the top down, it's crumbling. Or if if you do WandaVision, the sphere, the little town, you got it? Like the thing's gonna collapse. When the mountain that comes up out of the middle of the sea is tottering and jiggling, they're in trouble. God, the world God made, all of it is at risk of tumbling down. The earth is the first problem. The second problem is the nations. Nations, by the way, mean the people. The nations are also tremoring and tottering. Some of the same language used for the earth is used for the nations. They tremble and they totter and they're unsteady and they're volatile. The nations are making chaos, nation against nation. 
There's a history of this chaos, the poet says in Psalm 46. There's a long history of nations making chaos. People are the troublemakers, particularly people who rule kingdoms and lead nations. The poet tells us there's a pair of problems. The earth is a problem. Nations are a problem. If the problem is cosmic and it is geopolitical. It is natural world and the national order. Poet tells us the truth about what's happening and there is nothing tone deaf about Psalm 46. Please hear me this morning. The poet tells the truth about our world. But the largest claim the poet makes is about God. Again and again and again we read God is our refuge and our strength and our fortress and our help. This is why Martin Luther went to this psalm to write a mighty fortress because again and again we're called back to that reality. God is the fortress. God is the refuge. God is the help. God is what is stable. In the middle of chaos, God is stable. We can at least say that today. The poet wants us to imagine then that the seas that were turning and roaring and rushing become a cool stream, calm on our feet. If you were good to go up into the Big Bear Mountains today and find a creek or a stream and you put your feet in up there when it's 105 down here, then you get it. This is what the poet is saying, that God is like this. This is what God will do to the waters. They will become calming. In the end, the poet says, God is the warrior. And just with God's voice, God can melt war. Just with God's voice, God can remove weapons. So here again now, Psalm 46 with the pair of problems. I want to read it one more time. The earth is a problem. The kingdoms are a problem. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of the city. It shall not be moved. God will help it when the morning dawns. The nations are up in uproar. The kingdoms totter. God utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord. See what desolations he has brought on the earth. God makes wars cease to the end of the earth and God breaks the bow and shatters the spear and he turns the shields with fire. And it is now that we get to our favorite sentence in Psalm 46, saved usually for calm mornings with canoes on water. You see where, how different? Now we get to our favorite verse, be still and know that I am God. I'm exalted among the nations, I'm exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. For the first time in the psalm, we hear the voice of God. It's now God speaking to the people, and the audience is open-ended throughout all history, history past, history present, history future. God's talking to the earth and the cosmos. God's talking to the people and the nations and the kingdoms and the warriors. God's speaking to everyone in this text. Check some additional Bible translations, and the command comes a little more clearly. From the Contemporary English Bible, the be still part, that's enough. Isn't that interesting? That's enough. 
Now that I know that I am God, I'm exalted. From Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, step out of the traffic. Take a long, loving look at me, your high God, above politics, above everything. From the Amplified Bible, be still and know, and the text actually includes recognize and understand that I'm God. From the New American Standard, stop striving. Know that I am God. This is a command. Stop it. Knock it off. That's enough. Step out of it. Stop crashing seas. Stop warring warriors. All of you, stop it. And it turns out our favorite Bible text is actually not a call to quiet spirituality. If it works for you that way, beautiful. I did not come to rain on your parade this morning. Good for you and go for it. It's Ellen White who says, when the silence of the soul, it is the silence of the soul that makes distinct the voice of God. And I have experienced that and I believe that. And also, Psalms 46 is not about a quiet spirituality. It's a pretty chaotic and loud spirituality in Psalm 46. Nowhere does the psalmist invite us to withdraw from the world, to retreat from the noise. Nowhere does the psalmist here tell us to hold up in silent solidarity somewhere. The psalmist instead says, God will be found where it is noisy and chaotic. Is your world noisy and chaotic this week? Then guess where God is this week? There is one voice that makes the earth melt and warriors kneel. The psalmist insists, war is self-defeating and it's gonna bring destruction to those who practice it, so stop, stop. Go ahead this morning, church, and translate this metaphor now into your own life and whatever personal chaos you navigate. Be still and know that I am God. Translate this into every private thing this weekend of September 11. In addition to, in addition to holding close those who suffered ir irreparable damage 20 years ago, what about you and what about me? Name the sickness in our bodies. Name the sickness in our minds. Name the sickness in our homes. Name the chaos in the school. Name the chaos in our streets. Name every personal chaos that stirred you this week. Divine refuge and help, it coexists with all this chaos. It's not separate. The earth is revolting and God is a refuge and help. The sea is roaring and God is a refuge and a help. The sky is collapsing, the nations are warring, the we weapons are drawn, the smoke is, is rising, the ashes are falling, and God is a refuge and a help. Families argue and damage relationships and God is a refuge and help. Friends betray and bully and God is a refuge and help. Our bodies combat disease and our minds navigate demons and God is a refuge and a help. Our workplace might be toxic, our communities are overflowing with need and it is God who's a refuge and a help, the psalmist says. It is not an either or, it is a both and, Psalms 46 says. So this is what I would call an emotionally healthy spirituality, friends. That's truth-telling spirituality. We live in the midst of chaos, but not according to chaos. Does that make sense?
It's an emotionally healthy spirituality. The pastors want to spend the month of September talking about this. How do we make progress as Christians? Progress is a verb, and that's what we want to talk about for the entire month. We did a whole summer in the book of Acts with the Spirit pushing the community on and on and on and on, and we call ourselves progressive Christians or progressive Seventh-day Adventist Christians. What does it mean to progress, to move forward, to advance, to develop and mature and to grow? We wanna think about that for this particular month. Pastor Jason will join me in a couple of weeks. How do we know if we're progressing? A couple of weeks, the pastoral staff was sitting together and I simply asked the question, look, we talk about ourselves as progressive Adventists around here. What does that mean? Because I think we're, we confuse things and so I had one question. How would we illustrate it to the church on the continuum? If there are people who identify as conservative or traditional Christians, and there are people who identify as more liberal Christians, you be wherever you want on the continuum, but all of us have to be progressive. All of us have to be moving forward and advancing and developing and growing, right? Am I telling the truth this morning? How would we illustrate that with a chart? That's the question that I asked the pastors. 90 minutes later, do you know who the quiet one is on the pastoral team? Do you have a guess? N no, front row? Devo, no. <laughs> no. We say, we ruled out Bev and Devo. Do you know who the quiet one is in the pastoral? Well done. Well done, Pastor Otis. I did not ask permission to tell this story. I love my colleagues deeply. 90 minutes into our conversation, I said to the quiet one, Pastor Otis, what do you think we've said in 90 minutes? We had a grease board going and markers in our hands and lots of chatting and we all have different, different passions and specialties and Pastor Otis says, and I'm gonna quote what I think is pretty close to what Pastor Otis said, y'all are a mess. <laughs> You're talking all over the place. You said a lot of things but I'm sure we didn't answer the question. because there's not a recipe for what we're talking about right now. How do we illustrate and how do we describe to you and how would we lay it out and where's the four-part plan for how to progress in my Christian faith, friends? What does it look like? There are more instructions with my walking sticks than there are for this question I'm asking you. There are more instructions for how to use chopsticks. How do we progress move on, move forward. It turns out there's not a recipe, but I'm suggesting today that progressive Christians look at the world, see the world, and tell the truth about what's happening. That we are not tone deaf. We can't be tone deaf and be progressive Christians. We can't ignore what's happening in the world and call ourselves progressive Christians, nor can we make up things about God and call ourselves progressive Christians. Pastor Stewart used to tell us a story of a, a man who fell out of bed, hit his head, and he was injured the rest of his life. And he thanked God for pushing him out of bed that morning. That's not emotionally mature theology, that's coping. And there's a difference. This is what we want to think about for these weeks in August. How do progressive Christians progress? 
We look around the world and we tell the truth and we say what we see. Psalms 46 reminds us we don't need all those props. We simply need to see the nations and nature and God and see what we say. In the face of everything disturbing that we see, God is working to bring a peaceable conclusion. The end. The chaos, when it feels too much for me, church family, I find myself drawn to spaces. This is, by the way, part of my transition into the world to, to dig into issues of housing and homelessness crisis. It's simply too much. I keep driving by it and driving by it and stopping and interacting with people. It is more than a society ought to allow. I feel myself drawn towards it. When chaos feels like too much for me, I find myself drawn into activities I, I didn't even know I wanted to do. I'm buying food for people and I'm delivering things. One day, literally, I woke up in the middle of potting flowers. I had a tray of flowers and I was putting them in pots and I was gonna drive them around the community and give them to people who didn't get out of their home munch. Literally, a few plants in, I'm, what am I doing right now? It's because the reality of my father's degenerative neurological disease was too much. The chaos was too much. We went to visit him. He was so not himself, we couldn't even recognize him. And we knew his last wishes, and we couldn't enact his last wishes. And so he's going to lay in a bed and deteriorate for years. And I come home, and I'm planting plants that aren't even going to go in my yard. That is the Holy Spirit, friends. When the chaos is too much, pay attention to where the Spirit is drawing you. On this 20-year memorial, triggered by terror, while we feel helpless, there are so many healing options. Pay attention to where the Spirit is drawing you. There are thousands and thousands of people fleeing Afghanistan right now. They are fleeing the same terror that was inflicted on us 20 years ago. Do we get our stories are connected? Afghanistan right now, it's a geopolitical crisis. It's absolutely discussed in Psalms 46. People and families, they're caught in the middle of this with fresh layers of trauma now, trying to exit the country or not exiting the country, relocating somewhere around the world. Meet this morning two families that have been relocated here in Riverside, and I will speak to you with generalities because we wanna protect identities. It, it globally, locally connected is one nonprofit in Riverside that has been working for a very long time, particularly to help women. Refugees coming from Turkey and Afghanistan. The first young woman I want to tell you about is 28 years old, and she's from Kabul. And she was in the United States as a spouse of someone with a passport, uh, an immigration status, a visa. So she was legally here with her partner. And then domestic violence entered their lives. And the domestic violence was excessive and intolerable, and her family back in Cabal was urging her to come home. Come home, you need to be divorce this man and get your body healed and healthy. She went back home, pursued that. When she got home, she's culturally shunned. There are death threats from family members. I'm giving you a very brief, brief overview. 
She stayed home throughout the Afghanistan, or throughout the pandemic, she was in Afghanistan. Her brother arrived in Riverside in July, making plans for her to follow. And that's the morning that the Taliban entered Kabul, in the airport, the pictures we've all seen that day, and her flight was canceled. Here, though, is a picture of the 28-year-old, the morning she arrived in Ontario. She's on the right with the face mask on, and she absolutely has arrived in Riverside County. Locally connected is her advocate. She has a place to stay and a group of people working on her behalf and layers and layers of healing. Globally Connected is working with about two dozen families right now. They've gotten a few of them out. Here's family number two. These little girls are waiting for a flight to the United States at the airport in Cabal. They don't know that they've already missed the last departing U.S. Air Force plane. They are part of a refugee family that had been living in Riverside already for four years. They're trying to get the rest of their family out of Cabal. And through a series of contacts and efforts and, and senators and representatives and tremendous work with Globally Connected, they are able to get the mom's family out. And then they begin working on the father's side of the family. There are sick relatives and they had gone back home to help grandma and grandpa. And actually some of these people have passports and the proper paperwork and they still can't get out. So that's the tragic part of the story. Half of the family got here and half of the family cannot. Locally connected. Once people arrive in Riverside County, then we need the things. We need the apartment and we need the housing and we need food and we need ESL classes and we need paper to, people to fill out applications and paperwork and drive us around town and think about job connections. We have three church members, Suha Huffaker, Sasha Ross, and Candace Jorgensen, who have been attached to Glocally Connected for a long time now, and we see you, ladies. We see you. They remind me, these women, that this is not a one-off. This is relationship building. These are friends we make. If you wanna be involved in this nonprofit, go to the church website, because there are a dozen ways we can donate. We can go to wish lists on Amazon. We can uh, make contact with Glocally Connected and offer to become one of these helpers. With the Bible open, with scriptures in their ear, in the Old Testament, I should say, people of faith come to the temple because it's in the temple where they can imagine the world differently. It is in the temple that the hope of God can be seen. It is in the temple where they hope to connect with other people who can imagine that same world God is already creating. So we can tell the truth today about our chaotic world. We live in chaos, but not according to it. And I have deep confidence, not because I have all of the answers. I have deep confidence because of God. The universe runs on the loyal love of God. And it is the loyal love of God that comes through you and me. If you feel an impulse to plant flowers this week and deliver groceries, that's the loyal love of God, friends. When you don't know what to do with your chaos, pay attention to where the Spirit is pulling you. This week I thought I would be watching all the 9-11 stories. I thought I'd be doing the 20-year review. But it turns out I don't have capacity for that this week. I couldn't make myself. 
But I do feel like planting some flowers. I'm gonna tell you the truth. That I'm gonna take comes from God. Be still and know that I am God. I'm exalted among the nations. I'm exalted among the earth. I'm exalted in the potting of the plants and the delivering of the groceries. I'm exalted in the ESL classes. I'm exalted in filling out the application process for refugee families. I am exalted in the group of friends that sit and weep this weekend. I am exalted in every act of peace and hope. So church, be still and know. Amen.